It is our privilege to bring to you the following message, supported by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. This message was recorded during our normal Sunday morning service times. Pastor Rick Foster is serving as our interim senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church. Well, it's hard to believe that 2017 has already passed us by, and as we look ahead to 2018, Pastor Rick has a sermon prepared looking at our vision for 2018, and he starts with a sermon entitled, What is the Church? Consult the Manual. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and Rick is looking at verses 42 to 47 this morning. Here's Rick. As you get seated, just um, please don't take offense if I don't shake hands this morning. I've got a little bit of a head cold still ripping, and I wouldn't want to pass this on to anybody. Um, so if I snort, sneeze, dribble, or whatever up here, please just uh, be patient with me. Uh, it's never fun to be sick on the holiday. Yeah, you mean don't want to be in the front row. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 good call, good call. Um, you know, it's hard to believe that just a week ago, we were probably still in the process of either opening presents together with family and friends, or we were looking around the room at the carnage of wrapping paper and cardboard boxes. Probably by this time, the scissors have long since disappeared under the pile of what will be taken out into the trash cans in a few, you know, few minutes. Um, people are beginning to scatter as some go find batteries for their gift. Some are wondering about that last gift under the tree. Who is it for? Because the tag came off, and we don't know who it's from and who it's, who's intended to open it. Uh, as we stand here at the edge of 2018, let's take a moment and imagine there's still one more gift to open under the tree. It's put in our laps, we tear the bow off, we rip the paper off of it, and we find that whatever it is is still in original packaging, which means we've got to now find the scissors because that shrink wrap is not going to let us in with our fingers. We're going to have to cut it open. So we finally do cut the thing open, and we see, and we get our first real good look at it. What is it? Nobody we know has something like this. But fortunately, we see that taped to the bottom of it is an owner's manual, which gives us a great deal of hope to know, okay, we're going to understand how this thing works and what it's intended to do. It'll tell us how it's powered. For us to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2 is to experience once again that kind of a gift opening experience. Because what's coming out of the box for the very first time is something that no one has ever seen before. No one really knows how it's going to operate. What really powers it is something called the church. So how does it work? What's it intended to do? Well, the word itself <coughs> helps us understand at least a little bit about it. Um, the word that Paul uses, the word that Peter uses, that Jesus even used to describe something called the church is a compound word, even in the Greek language. It was made up of two different words, um, out of and called. And when you put those two words together, it was always used to describe people, a group of people. Never described a building. It never described a location. So those who made up this thing called the church are basically called out ones. Now, originally that word was used 
um, in Greek culture to describe the citizens of a city who could vote. And occasionally they were called out from their normal routine of a, any given day to gather together in, a, in an assembly in order to vote upon something that was important for the city. So inherent in the word church is the idea that we are called out people who come together. When Jesus was on earth, he told his disciples at one point in Matthew, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And that statement is really powerful. It's important because it tells us that, one, the church belongs to him. It's my church, Jesus said. Secondly, he's building it. It is growing. It is developing. And that third, it's going to have incredible spiritual power. Not even the gates of hell are going to be able to prevail against it. And so when we come to the book of Acts, the book of Acts reveals how this group of people called the church literally created shockwaves all over the Roman Empire. Because God's use of them was dynamic, And God's use of them was incredibly unpredictable. In fact, the claims of Christ were so radical that it stirred people up. Some people joyfully accepted it and thought this was the greatest thing in the world. Some people violently opposed it. But very few dismissed it as being irrelevant. Because the church was a band of people that as they watched them were wildly wonderful whether you agreed or not. Wildly wonderful. Okay? And that brings us to a problem. And the problem is this. When we compare the church in America today with the first century church described as we're going to look at it in a moment in Acts chapter 2, the comparison is more of a contrast then it is a similarity. Why? Because so many churches in America today define themselves and evaluate themselves on the basis of A, B, C. A stands for attendance. B stands for buildings. C stands for cash. So... If more people are showing up, if the facilities are good and cash flow is positive, then some people think then our church is successful, it's healthy, and it's doing well. Really? Is that what a church is to be about? A place where people show up, give up some of their money, and then enjoy back some benefits? Two hunters up in northern Canada shot a very large moose, and they pulled it out of the woods to the lake shore where they waited for a seaplane to come and pick them up. When the pilot saw the size of the moose, he was really hesitant. He said, I don't know if I can take off with that much weight, to which the hunters assured him, oh, we've done this before. Don't worry. So they strapped the moose to the pontoons. But again, the pilot expressed his real doubt. He said, look how far down in the water the pontoons are riding. I don't think we can lift off. Again, the hunter said, oh, relax. We've done this before. Trust us. 
So the pilot guns the engine and takes off down his runway of water and crashes into the treetops at the end of the lake. The moose carcass is up in a tall pine tree. Debris flies everywhere. And down on the ground, one of the dazed hunters calls out to the other one and says, Hey, George, how did we do? To which George replies, Well, we're about 50 feet further than we were last year. Does that describe us? Are we content because we just got a little bit further than we did last year? How important to read the owner's manual. How important it is to get our proper expectations of why this church is here and why it exists from the very one who put the whole thing together. So grab your Bibles, if you would, turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look real, real carefully and examine from verse 42 down to verse 47. And I want you to see the very first thing is that this is a group of people that were committed to a unique set of priorities. Look at verse 42. It starts with, and they devoted themselves. That word devoted, it means they were steadfast in a course of action. We would say they were committed. You could say they were sold out. You could say they were determined. Okay, what were their priorities? Well, they had two. The first is they were committed to the word of God. Notice, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, what does that mean? Well, the apostles were those 12 guys who walked with Jesus every single day, 24-7, for almost three years, watched him, heard everything that he said during that length of time. So they were up close and personal with him. So now they are in a position where they can tell everybody else what Jesus said and what he had done. Their teaching at this time, though, was all oral. Out of the mouth of the disciples and into the heart, the hearts of the church. See, having personally experienced Jesus, the values and the truths that they taught because they had heard him and seen him in him became the core values then of the group called this church. Now, the time came when eventually um, what these men were teaching they started writing it down. Churches started springing up all across the Roman Empire. And so they wanted to write down what they had heard Jesus say and what they had seen Jesus do so that these other believers in other parts of the world would know what Jesus had said and what Jesus had done. And so even in our day, even though the eyewitnesses have long since disappeared off the scene, their written record for us continues to allow us to have the priority of learning about Jesus Christ. And so for the first century church, and for Rancho Baptist, as we enter into 2018, Jesus said, I will build my church. Are we committed to the priority of learning from God's word, which will lead us then to experience Jesus? That was their first priority, according to the owner's manual. But there's a second priority I mentioned. We're still in verse 42. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the first. Here's the second. And they were devoted to the fellowship, which means they were committed to the people of God. Not just the Word of God, but also the people of God. What does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? Well, my dad would often tell me that the fellowship are the other fellows in the ship. It's the people that are sitting in the row right next to you. So these people here in Jerusalem at this time when this thing first started had this raging commitment to relationships. They were living in community with each other. And we know how messy that can get real quickly, don't we? I think that's why Jesus himself once told his disciples in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, there is no such thing as an independent believer, only interdependent believers. Now, look back at the text, because I want you to notice that there is a further definition of what commitment to the fellowship means. It's further defined as The breaking of bread. So if I'm committed to the fellowship, that's a priority to me, then I'm going to break bread with others. See, in the Jewish culture at that time, you did not eat with someone else unless you had accepted them as a person into your life. So eating together, unlike our day, hey, you want to go down to In-N-Out? Sure, I'll go. You know, no big deal. No, back then, it was a big deal It was a significant relational act to eat with somebody else. Now notice in this passage, there's another aspect of being committed to the fellowship. It's not just breaking bread together. Notice it's a commitment to the prayers. Ooh, that's a significant relational act that also expresses my heart's connection and commitment to other people. I show my devotion to others in a church context by my willingness to pray with them and for them. Okay, now step back for a moment. Look at these two priorities we have here. And let's put them side by side for a moment. They are a life commitment to learn and to love. They're a life commitment to grow, but also to give. It's a commitment to want to have the Lord touch my life, but then also for me to turn around and touch the lives of those that I'm right next to. It's it's wanting to know what God has to say to me, but I also want to know how you're doing as you sit next to me. And these are the two priorities that made the early church unique. And they'll do the same for us. A priority of learning the Word of God and the priority of loving God's people. Now, it's interesting what the text does for us. Because as a result of the early church having those two priorities, then they were a group of people that enjoyed a unique environment. And the following verses give us four distinctive traits of the unique environment that was a part of the early church. But don't miss the connection. These traits that we're going to look at, these four, are an overflow of their devotion to God's word and their devotion to God's people. 
That's where it's coming from. What's the first trait? Verse 43. The environment was astonishing. Look how Luke describes it. And he says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That word awe there describes the human emotional reaction to seeing God at work. It's like, whoa! The church was in awe over the wonders and the miraculous signs because God was at work among them in truly astonishing ways. Things that were, things were happening among them that could not be explained by human effort and human planning. Now, please don't get all hung up on who was doing what and what kinds of signs were being done because the point Luke is trying to make here is that the only explanation for what was happening is that God was at work doing those things that only God can do, which is the supernatural. What happens around Rancho Baptist should strike awe into those who are watching. We should not be astonished by what man can do, but our astonishment is what is God up to among us. That's why we pray for people, even those who are hardened, that they might repent and trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. What is one of the most supernatural things that can happen is that change of heart inside of a person like that. That's why we ask for healing for people who are facing tragic diseases. It's why we ask for divine comfort for those who are facing tragic situations and their pain is so obvious to us. It's why we ask God to rescue those who've got severe problems. Why do we pray these kinds of prayers? Because we believe that our God can do the impossible and he delights to answer our prayers. And that keeps us in awe as we see what only God can and will do in our midst. The miraculous, the supernatural. In fact, I read of a pastor who regularly prays that his church would be an embarrassment to the devil. He wants the only explanation for his church to be that God is at work. What a great thing for us to pray for ourselves. Oh, Lord, make Rancho Baptist in 2018 an embarrassment to the devil. Write that down. So the first trait of authentic biblical community, it's astonishing because God's at work. Well, there's a second one. Look at verse 44 and verse 45. The environment was also compassionate. Luke writes, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow, here's a group of people that cared for one another's needs. And only compassion, compassion is the only explanation for why someone would take tangible assets and turn it into hard currency in order to be able to give it away. A heart of compassion. Now look carefully at the text. There's something that that Luke is very subtly telling us here. Verse 44, they were together. Verse 45, they distributed. Okay, put those together. They were able to care for each other's needs because they were close enough to see each other's needs. 
What a powerful example. We can't practically care if we're not personally close. Which means coming on Sunday morning and just enjoying a worship service and going home and never having any other contact with someone from this body of believers is never going to allow you to be personally close enough to care. Either them for you or you for them. See, the tendency we all have, and I have it myself, is when we hear about a need, what immediately pops into my mind, or maybe your mind too, is, I wonder what the church is doing for them. Now stop for a moment. You've got to analyze that, that, that thought that pops there. If the church is not a building, and it's not, it's us, and we are the church, So the minute we start to wonder, what is the church doing about a need, that means I need to stop and ask, what am I willing to do about that need? Because I'm part of the church. Now, one of the joys I get of being on staff is that I get to to have a front row seat to see so much of the spontaneous, quiet compassion that happens around here. I get to see people buying appliances quietly for one another, bringing food, going to the hospital in the middle of the night, people gathering together and pooling their resources to buy vehicles for others. I've been in the middle of significant cash transfers so that the giver can remain anonymous. Over the last year, getting to watch how each month you all are incredibly generous to give anywhere from three to $5,000 a month to the Elder Care Fund just to care for the needs of other people. Now, that doesn't mean compassion is only spelled with dollar signs. It's not. But that is one way. 1 John 3 reminds us that if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Oh, dear children, let us not love with words or truth, but with actions. Excuse me, not with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Acts chapter 2 shows us that the, uh, the authentic church environment is one of astonishment and it's one of compassion. Now let's continue. Let's look at the third trait. First start, the, the start of verse 46. The environment was reverent. And day by day, they were attending the temple Together, This group of people enjoyed getting together to worship. In other words, the church was not man-centered, it was God-centered. And yeah, they were in the people business, but the focus was still on Jesus Christ. So that's why they would gather together regularly to celebrate what God had done for them. So that's why we need to understand, why is worshiping so important? Because it helps us realize that we don't just stand before God as an individual, but we also stand together before God as part of a group of people, the church. In fact, it's interesting that in John 10, Jesus calls his followers sheep, and then he goes on to say, and I am going to gather them together into just one flock. Paul in Ephesians 2 calls the church the family of God. 
So that means we not only have an individual status before God, but we also relate to him corporately as we gather together. And worshiping together is a great way to protect ourselves from the damaging or destructive individualism of our day, which basically it's an attitude that says, I don't need other people. I can get along just fine on my own. And Satan loves to encourage that because he can pick us off then one by one. And so we're reminded in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what has the owner's manual given us so far? That the environment that comes out of this devotion to God's word and God's people is an environment that's astonishing and compassionate and irreverent. Let's look at the final trait. Last part of verse 46 and the first part of verse 47, the environment was also intimate. It was also intimate. So they were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, it may, not be a, uh, it may not appear to be significant that they met in homes to eat together, but that's because we don't under, appreciate the cultural background of that day. I've already mentioned it a few moments ago, that in the Near Eastern culture, at that time, for someone to open up their home and invite you in was an act of intimacy. It basically communicated to you, I accept you, I'm committed to you, You are my friend. And I don't look at this and get any sense at all that eating together in this way was a program of the church. Rather, it was something that just spontaneously happened because there was a natural growing intimacy that was happening in the relationships among them. I may step on your toes here for a moment, so put them under the seat if you want to for a moment, but can I just challenge your thinking for a moment about your home? I'm absolutely convinced from the scriptures that if my home is not open, then a part of my heart is not open to others. If I am resistant to having people in, that typically means there's something blocking the growth of intimacy growing between me and other people. Now, all of us have different capacities for hospitality. So I don't want you to feel guilty about this at all. I mean, you don't have to have a large family room that was last month's photo shoot for Sunset Magazine. Okay, we're not talking about that. Because hospitality is not entertaining. When you invite someone in your home, you're not there to impress them. It's about developing intimacy. The focal point is on the relationship, not the experience. (coughs) So what have we seen? Fresh out of the box. The early church was deeply committed to the priorities of God's word and God's people. 
which then resulted by the work of God in a supernatural environment that was characterized by astonishment and compassion and reverence and intimacy. Wow. Who would not want to go to that kind of a church? But I find it fascinating that the owner's manual points out one last thing. These two dynamics of, a unique, of unique priorities in a unique environment come together um, in, a, in a powerful way and create a group of people that are having a unique impact. Look at the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being seen. How are their numbers growing? The first impact is seen by it's a God-given or driven growth. The Lord was the one that was building their numbers up here. And I really believe that when the Lord works on the internal side of a church so that they're committed to the right priorities, which creates a unique environment, others are going to hear that, see this, find out about it, and want in. They all want to be a part of something where the only explanation is God is at work. But notice something else about this impact. The impact is practically seen by conversion growth. Now, there are several ways a church can grow. Um, it can have biological growth. Just If you need to pay the young families of your church to have babies and keep the nursery filled, eventually your church is going to grow number-wise. Biological growth. No, we're not going to offer that. Okay. Or the church can have transfer growth. Believers from other churches then start to come. Maybe they moved into Temecula from Iowa or, or someplace else or Northern California. Or they were attending another church in our community. Now they're attending here. Pastors call this sheep swapping. But the real impact of the church, look at verse 47, should be seen in conversion growth. People who did not know Jesus Christ. But if you look earlier up here in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart in verse 37 when they heard the message of the gospel. They asked, what do I need to do? Verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And those that received his word that day were baptized, and about 3,000 people became a part of the church. That's the conversion growth. People who do not know Jesus Christ respond to the good news of the gospel, and they trust Christ as their Savior. Conversion growth. <laughs> about 350 years ago, I think it was about 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America and established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. And in the third year, the town officials planned to build a road five miles west into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their elected officials because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles out in the wilderness. Who needed to go out there anyway? The 
So here were a group of people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across the Atlantic to come and overcome the hardships of building their, their town together. But in just a few years, they were no longer able to see even five miles outside their city. They lost their vision. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. When we lose our why, we lose our way. It can happen. It can happen here. Because the last 18 months have not been easy for those who call Rancho Baptist their home church. The interim season has seen a lot of interesting challenges. It's easy to lose our why. And when we do, we lose our way. But as we look to enter into 2018, what a great time to ask the question, what is the church? Remembering the why so we don't lose the way. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for the owner's manual. That when we opened this thing up this morning, it wasn't about trying to figure out what it does on our own. You've given us clear and concise directions. And Father, for some of us this morning, it's been a little uncomfortable as we've considered what is my wholehearted priority? Is it to the Word of God, learning from it? Is it to loving God's people? Father, who would not among us want to have that kind of an environment around us that's astonishing, that's compassionate, that's reverent? That's intimate. And Father, this passage brings together the purposes and work of God alongside the choices of your people. And we recognize that's true with us as well. It's not somebody else's choices that have got to be made. It's mine. It's my brothers and sisters right here in this room. So, Father, would you please forgive us when those have not been our priorities? Would you help us in practical ways to not only reaffirm, but be committed to those this coming year? Not because we want this community to stand back and be amazed at us. No, as Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. People see what you do among us and be in astonishment at our God who does the impossible, who does the supernatural. So, Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. May it be done to us according to your will. 
We pray this in the wonderful, steadfast love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.